But but I, I quickly saw that becoming a problem in book three as I felt like I needed to go back and explain everything about these characters. And I thought, yeah, no, it's not working. And I always use my son, Sam, as as a sounding board, and he'll read and he'll give me give me an idea about things and said oh dad you are explaining things way too much and we're getting lost and whatever so I, I went back and I started going I've got the perfect out I've got the narrator cat who is explaining all this and he's kind of a snarky individual who can just say I'm not going to explain this if you don't know what I'm talking about go back and read the first book This is Stephanie Fowler. And this is Tony Russo. And you're listening to another episode of So What's Your Story? A podcast in which we talk to authors and writers about their writing, their stories behind their stories, the writing process, and any other miscellaneous writing stuff that we decide to talk about. Today on the podcast, we have author Andrew Heller with us. Good morning. Good morning, Andrew. Um, one of the reasons I wanted to have Andrew Heller on the podcast, um, not only is he just a good friend of mine and a good poster child for what we're doing here at Saltwater Media, but Andrew has um, perhaps one of the coolest uh, story behind this stories for why he started writing. And um, to give a little bit of background, Andrew has a three-part uh, young adult uh, mystery series. It's the Samuel Smythe um, series in which we have a young guy named Samuel Smythe, and he follows his dad through a uh, spy business. I always, I always kind of refer to Andrew's book as if... Um, Harry Potter had been a hardy boy who found out his dad was James Bond. <laughs> so that's, I always kind of like wrap it up that way and just kind of, I feel like that sort of encapsulates it. But he's had three, there's been three editions now. We had Samuel Smythe and the Mystery of the Missing Papers, which we did in August of 2013. Yep. We had Samuel Smythe and the Mystery of the Snake Bird, which came out in August of 2014. And then in September of 2015, we did Samuel Smythe and the Mystery of the Urbane. Yes. So one of the things I wanted to kind of hit right quick, um, because one of the reasons why I really wanted to do this podcast was to talk about why writers write the stuff we write. And you have a really great story that really kind of captured my heart as to why you wrote, you started writing the Samuel Smythe series. It started as a, um, as a short story that I was writing, um, for my for my son, I was I was uh, a contractual professor at Salisbury University, and um, we had big budget cuts there in 2009, and they did not. My contract was not renewed. My position was eliminated. Blah blah blah. So suddenly, I'm left with not a lot to do in Wicomico County, and um, not 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 a lot of money coming in as as a result, and I was lucky enough to have a very supportive partner and and all of that good stuff um, but as as Christmas was coming around, I wanted to give something to my son that was from me that was not my partner bought it and said it was for me or my parents were buying it and trying to say it was for me. It was, it was legitimately from me and not like the dollar that I had that I bought him like a pack of gum or something so I wrote. I wrote a story um, about a kid who gets wrapped up in his dad's spy business. Just, a, I don't know, like it was like maybe a couple chapters. And um, he liked it. He, he thought it was really cool. And he's like, Dad, you got to do this. You got to keep doing this. You got to do more. So 
as his birthday came around, I started turning it into more of a something, and and I made it into like like four chapters, and it was a bit longer. And he said, "Yeah, yeah, this is great. This is great. Keep going." So I, I kept working on it and kept working on it, and then other ventures came in, and I put it away for a while, and I picked it back up, and I and I started writing on it some more. And by the next Christmas, I had more stuff happening with with it, and um, then put it away for a while and then brought it back out again and until finally I heard about Stephanie and and her venture here at Saltwater and my partner encouraged me to talk to Stephanie about it and I did and I gave her my stuff and she looked at it and showed up at my house one day for dinner with an actual printed proof of it or book of it which of course led us all to tears and it was all very exciting but yeah that's that's kind of how it how it started you know, it was a gift for my kid. So the, one of the other things that um, I, I noticed immediately about the Samuel Smythe series um, was that it's a very, um, there's a lot of imagination. There's a lot of play on words. There's a lot of play with language. There's a cat that talks, but only the protagonist Samuel Smythe can, can hear it. And so there's a lot of play to it. There's a lot of imagination. And so I, I kind of wonder... And as I was kind of going through it, I sort of feel like maybe your background in theater kind of played into creating such an imaginative sort of universe for that. I think that being a part of the of theater certainly helped. I, I think especially when I write dialogue and that that kind of thing, and I think in, in creating characters that seem to be real people. Uh, the fact that they're loosely, and I will say loosely again for, for those that are out there that have read this and try to make a connection, loosely based on um, some real people in my life or people that I that I encounter. But um, I, I think that some of it is my husband will tell you there's just a lot of crazy up in my head that goes on. <laughs> I'm sorry. I, I would like to get at the. Uh, we were talking a little bit about about you you being a playwright, and can, yeah. you, can you give us a little a little of the biographical stuff we kind of we kind of skirted. Sure. Um, a lot of the 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 playwriting. My, both my degrees. I have a bachelor's and I have a master's of fine arts. Both of those are in theater, and I, I did a lot of um, directing and a lot of stage managing. I started as an actor, as we all start as actors and want to be those great actors, but realized quickly that. Acting was not for me, or I was not for acting, one of right. the two. You know, so stage management and directing came into play. Um, children's theater is a real good way to make money when you're in theater. It's a real, real easy way to get into to right. something that's a paid gig. And I started adapting a lot of, a lot of short stories, um, a lot of children's stories into theatrical pieces for, for kids, both for young audiences and by young audiences. I started doing a lot of theater programs for young people. And that's how playwriting started developing. And then I've, I've written a few plays, um, inspired by, by different stories for, for um, older audiences, I have a play that was inspired. The sounds so awful, inspired by my grandmother's death. But I mean, it was inspired by my my grandmother's um, bout with cancer, and I'm I'm writing another one that that deals with Alzheimer's um, right now, and uh, I have another one that's that's your typical family meeting for a holiday and and hating one another kind of kind of thing that's got some serious heavy stuff but it's kind of funny at the same time and so i've got some some more adult kind of things that are that are in there as well and the transition between writing plays and writing um novels um, does it help the dialogue 
Definitely it helps with dialogue, although sometimes I can find myself going, ooh, I've written like five pages of dialogue. This probably is a need to to tell a story rather than just have these people tell the story, which is what playwriting is. It's essentially telling a story, but it's having the people tell it. Right, and that was my question, like getting back out of that and saying, okay, well, how much of this can be expository or description? Right, so I I go back and forth. I, I think I have partially an out because one of the characters in the book is also also the narrator. Um, so, I mean, it's I spoiler alert, I guess I can do that since I'm on the third. I'm writing the fourth book now. So, spoiler alert, but but Cat is the narrator of, of the series. And so it's it's being told through his voice. So it's it, I get that sense of him talking and telling the story, which also allows for a lot of... Um, punctuation mistakes that go on because I can always complain to my editor or fight back with my editor that no, I need that because it's a pause in how he's thinking. It's not wrong. So Andrew and I have the constant, (laughs) a constant battle over ellipses. Yes. Like he will use like 20 a page and that may, well that may be hyperbole but oh, i mean you i'm sure it's happened he'll use a once. lot on a on a six you know six by nine page it will be you know i'm like look if we can just get it down to like three you know like, right. you know so we're, I'm, we're always having this ellipses battle but i think if you know andrew well enough you know that he he writes kind of in the same sort of uh, talk, and he kind of goes in these different places, pauses, comes back to something, and then goes, you know, kind of goes back. One of the so. things I've been thinking about a lot lately is the reason that an editor is so important. It's is because uh, the editor can say, "Yes, I know that that's how you get it," but the rest of us are just so distracted by it. Like, absolutely, like, absolutely. And, and you need you need someone to say, I, "I know what you mean," but unless you're going to sit down with everyone who reads the book and tell you tell them what you mean. Which it's I would do. It's easier to be I a would... little bit more conventional when it comes to ellipses. Absolutely. So I'm like, we have all kinds of punctuation <laughs> at our disposal. We have periods and commas and hyphens and all kinds of stuff. But, you know, Andrew takes it really well. I'm um, learning to use them more is what, yeah. I, what I'm well, doing. I had, so. a, I had a very brief but very passionate addiction to the M dash for a while. Oh, and yes. And that's the other one that's so easy to get caught up in. And, and like, you know what? Just, just try harder. You know, it's... <laughs> It's really, it really comes, it really comes down to, because I feel like for you, the ellipses might also be like almost stage direction. Like, you know, you get it now. He, he says this and, you know, and then he makes a face and you're like, well, but they're not really making a face in the text. Right, right. A little bit. I mean, or there's, there's the pause or the person is, is pausing the thought that they made as they have to go off on this tangent, which leads them to another tangent, which leads them to another tangent. But it's not really a tangent because they're all related to that first thought. So then they go back to that that first ideal, which, again, it's very much how I talk. But sadly, as Stephanie's pointed out, I don't have the person's face in front of me while they're reading it. Like if I'm talking to them and I can go, oh, you got lost in my conversation. Let me go back to where I was so that so I don't have all that, which unfortunately. So that's my job. My job is to to rein that in, which... It's, it's fun. It's fun. We don't we don't have too much, but it's a task. But it is a task. We have fun with it. Well, you touched on something earlier that I always thought was kind of funny when we talk about you know when we write. Sometimes there are unintended consequences to you know what we do, and you know we, we write these things and we put them out there, and then people are free to interpret and do all these sorts of things. Right, but right. one of the stories that kind of always 
kind of makes me smile about your work is that the character that plays Samuel Smy's grandmother, which would be uh, the Rowena, yeah. Ro- Rowena, who is actually, as we have a uh, preface already, is loosely based <laughs> on your mother. Loosely based on my mother, um, yes. So the character in the book cannot cook whatsoever. And she actually makes these horrific concoctions using scraping off mold of vegetables and using all these kind of things that just don't go together. And I think in the book, it's a bit hyperbole. I mean, it's just right. really bizarre and gross. It and often disgusting. turns into a soup is what she'll, she'll make. Yeah. She's like just kind of throwing all these sort of things in the pot and everyone's just kind of looking like, no, we're not eating that, you know? <laughs> but, um, so after Andrew published the, the book, um, some of his mom's friends, um, had a little, had a moment with your mom, didn't they? They, they I think all of her friends probably, I think they're my, it, it, the book's geared towards like middle school age kind of thing, kind of like the Harry Potter that you mentioned. It's right. going to grow with the character, but I think the biggest fan base that I have are senior citizen ladies from the Eastern shore of Virginia who all clamor to buy the book. They're at every book signing and they're like my groupies. I have like 60 year old groupies that, that are all excited about it, but they're all my mom's friends. And, um, they did. They, a group of them approached her in church one day and said, Oh, Carol, we didn't know you couldn't cook. And they were so upset and felt bad for my father. And they've all now offered to make meals for my father and bring him breakfast and that kind of that's thing. Great. Yeah. Yeah. So maybe that's like a positive. Upset. Well, my dad thinks so. My dad thinks so. Yeah. The, um, when you were, you were, you were, you were talking about your fan base connecting with the, uh, the middle schoolers as they go through and, I, we haven't talked about this personally, but it occurs to me that we probably should have. One of my favorite young adult series is a series of unfortunate events. Yeah, yeah. I think that's as well done as a young adult series can get. Are you familiar? Did yes. You read it? Yep. And because yep. it's the very same thing, it brings you along. Each book is a little bit more difficult to read, expecting yep. that you know the ten-year-old reads one, eleven, twelve, thirteen. I've not read the Harry Potter because it just didn't interest me. But um, bringing bringing the students, bringing the kids along, how much how much of that develops as you go into book four? So book one, that was that the plan at book one, or now that you're getting into book four, you're like, oh, I really need to. It was always always kind of the plan because I knew that that the character. I mean, obviously, he's going to age, and and as he ages, his experiences are going to become varied and, and different and, and other things can happen and he's going to be able to handle things differently. So I, I think that there is, um, the danger becomes, becomes more present. Um, I think that, that his interests become more diverse. I mean, a, a 10, 11 year old has a slight interest in girls, but as he gets a little older, his interest is going to become more or others are going to become interested right. in him. Um, the subject matters can become a little bit, a little bit heavier, a little bit more serious. Um, so in book four, there's, there's a lot more. And also the, the history, I, I, I tend to blend some real historical facts with the fiction that's, that's going on. I've, I've always been a history buff. So there, there are things like in, in, um, book two, they spend some time in St. Augustine and I talk a little bit about the history of St. Augustine in Florida. I'm from Florida. I bring that up. Book three, they end up, um, going into the Bahamas and I make some interesting connections there. Book four, which is called, uh, Samuel Smythe and the mystery of the origins. We're going back to, to the origins of the organization, which is, the name of the organization that he works for is called the organization. And that starts back um, with the Congress of Vienna in 1814 and 1815. 
And I'm bringing those kinds of historical things, which I think for a 10-year-old, that's over their head, certainly, right. or, or has to be touched on differently, which I, I introduce it in the first book, but I don't really go into detail. But in this one, I go into a lot more detail about where they are, and there are a series of flashbacks. So I have some conversations and some things happening with the actual people who were at the Congress of Vienna and some of the other concerts of Europe that, that occurred afterwards. So it gets, it gets a little more, I guess, historical or, or more, more depth. And I, I also yeah. noticed with the third book, um, as I was going through it, um, the mystery of the urbane, I actually noticed, um, there was, um, an advancement in the language. You talk more about, um, language. And I think maybe this comes from being an educator. You know, you worked in the school systems, you worked at, you know, Salisbury university. And, um, I noticed in the books, you play a lot with language, but I also noticed like, as you were talking, like do the books advance? Well, I noticed in the third book, I was actually learning things about language. I didn't even know, like there were certain, um, words and the, the one prime example is escaping me, but, um, there, there were moments which I was like kind of going along deleting ellipses and I was like, Oh, (laughs) I was like, I didn't know that that's how that word came to be. And, you know, so it was, so I definitely feel like there are, um, there's an evolution of the, uh, complexity of the language that you use, but the narrator does say, kind of helps the kids break that down and kind of understand it. But there were multiple examples where I sort of felt, you know, in the third book that we, we were moving in a more mature direction. I, I love words and I love histories of words and the origins of words and how they come to play and how um, different regions will, will assign meanings to certain things. I, I just language, I think is just a fascinating thing. I, I think that you'll find that in the, the Lemony Snicket books that you were talking right, about. Yeah. He, brings those up all the time. And I think that that's, that's really an interesting component to those books. I think that's why I really yeah, liked those. the best part about it. You know, it. they were fun. Yeah. Like, Oh, this word means blah, blah, blah. Right. Blah, and blah, then blah. as he yeah. gets, if, if you haven't, if you haven't read the book, what happens is early in the book, they, they use a complicated word and then explain it with a simpler word. And then later in the book, they use a simple word and explain it with a complicated yes, word. And yes. I absolutely love that part of that book. It's, it's a lot of fun. And so playing with words, I really enjoy, enjoy doing. Um, and, and I think that it's that it's educational without hitting you over the head with, with being educational. And I think that's why, that's why I incorporate some of the history stuff in there too. It's when I teach, I'm an educator. And when I teach, that's very much my style of teaching is I'm, we're going to sit down and we're going to do all these things in the classroom and you're going to walk out of there going, what did we do? We did these games and we talked and whatever, 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 whatever. And then, holy cow, I just learned something and I didn't realize how much I learned. And that's what I'm hoping that can come out of these books is you learn some new words. You learn some ways language from was formed. You learn something about history that you didn't know. One of the things that um, I think I'd like the both of you to talk about a little bit is finding the balance between how much catching up you're going to give the reader and how much you're going to expect, because that's got to be, again, as you go forward, you know, there are some things that you, you can't, you can't spend the first three chapters catching people up, you know, but you all, you want to keep it interesting for the, 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 the constant reader and then, you know, but catch up people briefly. Right. We're picking this up as the first book in the fourth in the series. That was tough. Um, f- I guess, I guess I had the most difficulty with that 
as I started the third one. Because, I mean, writing the second book and you'd have to refer back to something. You only had one book to go back to. Right. So it really didn't take very long or there really wasn't that much to it. Um, but but I, I quickly saw that becoming a problem in book three as I felt like I needed to go back and explain everything about these characters. And I thought, yeah, no, it's not working. And I always use my son, Sam, as as a sounding board and he'll read and he'll give me give me an idea about things and he said oh dad you're explaining things way too much and we're getting lost and whatever so I, I went back and i started going i've got the perfect out i've got the narrator cat who is explaining all this and he's kind of a snarky individual who can just say i'm not going to explain this if you don't know what i'm talking about go back and read the first book right and that's that's how i handle a lot of that this is the last time i'm telling you right. go back and read the first book if you're lost right i think it helps when you have announced that your narrator is really sarcastic and very smart and like you said snarky so he, <laughs> he snarks the whole and then you have this cat that's just like sarcastic and snarky the His whole cats book, so. are anyway i think yeah i think so so but no i think you know i i think you did though um kind of handle that pretty well i mean i think that when i was going through the second book um there there was some reflection but it didn't seem overdone i think by the time we got to the third i think we pared down a little bit more but mm. um it didn't feel heavily like you know you know, previously on, you right, know, yeah. it, it wasn't, I don't think it hits over the head. And I think one of the things, one of the devices is that all the books sort of start the same way, mm-hmm. but they, um, you know, with, you know, like a morning, you know, kind of, kind of waking up and kind of getting going. But so I think that kind of helps kind of keep it the same, but at the same time, there are these little reflections throughout that we kind of touched on, you know, back in the other one. So I thought you handled that pretty well. It could have been very heavy. I mean, there's a lot of characters. There's a lot of backstory. I mean, you certainly could get lost in you could get lost explaining in a re-explanation and re-explanation of, of exactly the, yeah. Because the, there are you're right. I mean, there are a lot of characters. I mean, in keeping track of them and trying to remember who they are. I mean, it can be it can become big. Right. But you've got to kind of follow along the series. I mean, I think that's right. why you have a series. I mean, it's it's what you do when you jump into a television series in the middle of it or several seasons in you have some catch-up to do and that's just where you are and this is also progressive i have not read very many series not for any reason other than i i have it but there were um the lawrence block right lawrence block did a bunch of books and they were about a burglar and they were you know fine Um, (laughs) but the point was that i was worried i was missing something maybe yeah no the, the, the 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 point was that it wasn't quite a series in that it 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 was, and that's kind of what, I, what I'm what I'm asking you here. It wasn't a series like this. This was a burglar. He always broke into the wrong place, and it was very right. film noir kind of thing. Uh, but he was able to, like each story could stand on its own. Each story stood yeah. on its own, but there were things where he'd say, like that time in the library, and you either had to have read the library book, right, or or know right. about it. But it didn't. It wasn't a plot. A series that I really enjoyed. As as um, a kid was the three investigator series. I, I they weren't very long. They were chapter books, but they were not they were not super long. But I could I could I'd get one and I'd read it in a night. But it was very similar. There were like thirty of them. Hardy Boys. Yeah, well, the Nancy Drew. Similar. I mean, you know, you know there's being... background to them. Yeah. Certainly that that you can kind of pick up wherever you pick up in the series. And some really of the characters will reappear, like, you yeah. know, in the Nancy Drew series, you know, certain characters would kind of pop up in a new book, but you could pick up one and just read it and, you know, go right. with it. But reading them in order is not, 
important. But exactly. Like, like in the Harry Potter series, reading them in order is is right. really kind it of is important critical. Yeah, because absolutely it's critical. Essentially, one big story. It's one right. epic, you know, right. because it's, it's, it's epic. And, and, and while I don't have a plan, like, like, I mean, I think she was genius in, in putting that genius. together because she knew when she started the first one very much where she was going as one long epic thing. I mean, well, it's always easier to say at the end though. Well, yeah. that's true. <laughs> yeah. that's oh, true. I, I totally knew that's what I was true. doing. I Absolutely. totally did when I was sitting in that pub and I was on yeah. unemployment. Yeah, totally. Um, but th- this one, I, I, I can't say, and, and now it's, here recorded forever so that I really can't say at the right. end that I knew what I was doing, but I, I'm just kind of going along like I think life is. And I think that's, that's what it is. You just kind of go along and life takes you where you, where it takes you. I have ideas where I'd like to go with the character and I have adventures that I'd like to see them do, but I get inspired as I'm going along as to what, what the next adventure is, is going to be. I remember when you went, you actually went to the Bahamas before you were, or while you were writing The Urbane. And I remember you telling me that you would hit this, like, this block. And you were like, I don't know what's happening. I don't know where the characters are going. And you were actually kind of upset before you (laughs) left. I ran into a wall, yeah. He just like, so I've started this thing and I don't know how to get the next thing going. And I was like, well, you know, it just... You're going to go to the Bahamas, you know, just relax and enjoy your time. And then down there, you met some lady that just like was dynamite to that wall and blew she it apart. And then he came back. Did. And- I went, I, I, I was trapped in, in trying to make it, the urbane was, was a playoff of like urban legends. And, and I had this great tie in that I was trying to put together linking urbane, which doesn't mean what an urban legend is, but I mean, way back in the beginning of Urbane, it means from the town. And so I started this urban legend about this woman who was from the town and all this stuff that, that happened out of that. But I, I'd, I had written myself into kind of a block and I went down to, to the Bahamas and, and I met this lady, Miss Cynthia at one of the straw markets and we sat there and chatted. She chatted with me for, for maybe two hours the first time I met her and I, and I talked to her again and just got, a lot of stories about the Bahamas, a lot of stories about her life, um, things that some of these things never ended up in the book, but it just really kind of got my head moving in, in a whole dif- different direction. And, and it changed the, Im- Im- I guess, where really where I was going with, with everything in, in the book. And I was able to bring it all into focus. I was trying to have an urban legend from every country in the world stuck into a children's novel that was going to be 300 pages. And holy cow, that wasn't going to happen. So it it made me go, yeah, I got to limit my scope here. Right. I got to get focused. And that's, that's where I was. I think there are these moments that we have as writers. I know I had one recently where, you know, in a book that I'm working on, you know, you kind of get to this point and you just, you just feel like you're just slamming your head on a wall and you're looking at what you've got and you know where you want to go, but it just seems like there's this obstacle in the way. And then, you know, I don't know, it's different for every person, you know, and then I kind of had this moment of, you know, kind of just dropping back away from the work and, you know, I just did some other reading and some other let research and just kind of just let it sit for a second. And then I was reading, um, I was reading something on a totally different subject and something like in the back of my head went ding. And I was like, Oh, and then all of a sudden it was like the floodgates just came open and I knew exactly part of the problem I was having with the story was organization. Mm-hmm. Like there's all these different pieces to this particular puzzle. How do I organize it in a way that I don't make my reader run all over the place with me? I right. want to like tell them a story, but I don't want them to have to run 
in all these different directions from all these different perspectives and viewpoints. And, uh, so organization I was really struggling with and right. kind of like you were kind of struggling kind of in that moment and, you know, just something ha- happened and it was like lightning and boom, it kind of, it kind of fixed it. And that's a, I don't know. Those are really great moments I think for, for writers. I, I think so. I think when you, when you sit back and uh, you get so vested and you want to find and, and, and force your way through things, but that's when you start forcing these connections that aren't there. And so when you can get yourself to sit back, that's when all the happy accidents or that's when all the connections that really start to reveal themselves, yeah. you know. And that's that's what I've been as I'm as I'm working on this this one, the origins. I'm finding so many interesting connections and I'm I'm trying to keep that lesson that I learned in the Bahamas of, of don't force things, just discover them. And, and and let them apply themselves as they apply themselves when they apply themselves. And I think and, we should yeah. have a writing rule called the lesson of the Bahamas. I think so. <laughs> we should have it in the Bahamas. The uh, last thing that I want to go over real quick is uh, getting out and getting your books sold and the, 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 the business aspect of that. <laughs> I'd love to go out and get that done too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, one of, one of the things that I've been, I've been pushing really hard and really loud more recently is I'm pretty much done with book signings unless unless there's a really good reason um i've i've decided that i'm going to move to doing talks i'll come and i'll talk to your your folks i'll you know i'll get you engaged because like sitting there like a lump it's embarrassing for everyone involved yeah we just had this conversation what last wednesday i I think yeah last wednesday last wednesday yeah it was it was yeah you and i had this exact conversation about um you know, the different things that you could be doing, that you can do and whatnot. Um, we honestly, we literally just had this conversation. Yeah. I, I, I agree with that. I, I think that, I mean, you can liken that to forcing your way through something. I think you're trying to force something when you sit there at a, at a book sign. Right. I'm forcing you to buy my book. I'm forcing you to let me sign my book. And I'm I look like a Sarah McLaughlin and and ASPCA gonna, yeah. commercial, Aww. you know? And yeah. I think that there's, there's something, I don't want to say disingenuous, in, in like a in like a mean way, but it's like, you know, trying to make smaller authors like me feel like they're bigger. Like trying to make us feel impressed with with ourselves, which we don't for several reasons. One, no one comes and buys our books, which is embarrassing. But also, it's just we're not draws, or at least I'm not a draw. People well, you got don't have to have that name recognition. Right. I mean, people are going to say, oh well, Tony Russo's there. Whatever he put out must be, you know readable i'm going to go and i'm going to get that book right and and i think there's a disconnect in a lot of the a lot of the smaller publishing houses don't don't they don't have the juice to get people there by advertising or right and they don't have the well and if they do who wants i mean you could advertise my name all day long no one knows who the heck i am so right and why so, are they gonna go and one of the things that you and i had actually talked about was the idea of you know combining a um you know, your, your children's theater aspect with the fact that you're a children's author and could not that crossover be a point at which, you know, you expand the universe of Samuel Smythe and you expand your name recognition. And so you kind of have to, in a weird way, you have to, as a small 
independent author as a small, you know, traditional press or self-publishing press, you kind of have to set yourself up, not behind a table. You have to set yourself up as a brand or find these moments where you connect with your audience, not like here, I have this book, you know, it has to be a different moment. You have to create a different environment for yourself and your work. Right. And for, for me, for me, the talks are, are the thing I don't know uh, how you feel about readings or if that's, or if that's something you do, but that's, that's the kind of thing where you get people out and you get them engaged. And then afterwards you can talk to them one at a time. And right. Say, oh, I noticed this. I noticed that. And that's where your sales get made when you, when you can make a, a connection with the person um, based on what they already know about you instead of based on the fact that they accidentally made eye contact on their way by at the book fair. And right. that's one of the things we found recently is Andrew's getting ready to do um, a publisher book author talk at um some of the local schools and as you know he has you know he is like the main event coming to talk to students about publishing and children's work and this sort of the other thing we've already got pre-orders coming in so it's a very different setup um and i'm sorry if i just stole your thunder on that but you know there's a very different setup for you know when you are kind of like put up not put up that sounds terrible when you are <laughs> when you are when you when you are there as an expert when you are there as someone exactly. with niche yep. knowledge it's almost like the book being secondary makes exactly. the book primary but right. when you make the book the primary thing and no one's looked at it before they're i don't they've really right. know what no to do with this reference. they can't right. connect with a book but they can connect with a book. but if they've been excited by something you've just done and then they look over there and go oh and he's got those books over there too i i wonder if they, they've got to be good because right. what i just saw was something that was interesting and i'd like to see that connection and yeah. that's the other thing too is i think for small authors connecting with the with your reader on a personal level, I think also makes him go, wow, like I just heard Andrew Heller talk and he talked about, you know, writing his book. He talked about theater or whatever it was. And he was really engaging. I really liked hearing him. I heard him give a couple personal stories. I feel like I know him. Then they buy the book because then there's hopefully they buy the book, but there's like that. Suddenly it's like name face. There's exactly. a connection. There's more recognition. They, they have a they concept have a connection that the right. next time maybe they will see Andrew Heller is speaking here and come based on the fact that they want to see you speak. And eventually that, that, that is where the conversion takes place. Absolutely. And I have another author that's sort of in the same way. Actually, on the last podcast, we had Clara Small, Dr. Clara Small, Mm -hmm. and she is absolutely an expert in her field. And, you know, she doesn't do the traditional book signing. I mean, she goes and gives lectures, she gives talks and, you know, then, you know, she's giving this lecture on Harriet Tubman and then people are like, oh my gosh, she was insightful. She was interesting. She was lovely and she was brilliant. Oh, here's her book. Oh, that's right. Okay. And then, and it's that kind of connection. That's the kind of connection that Andrew's making in the school systems and that's the kind of connections that you know when you when you're a small press or a self-published press those are the things that you have to focus on very cool all right well we are going to come to a screeching halt and <laughs> sorry i nearly nearly dropped my my coffee on the computer and the fact that i didn't the fact that you're listening to this means that i didn't that he did um, not. but before before we close it out all the way let's get your your social your social your, your Twitter, your... Oh, okay. I was like, my social security number? No. I was <laughs> thinking it was that. like your, your wow. social card here. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I am at Heller Books on both Twitter and Instagram. And you can also find Samuel Smythe on Facebook. 
Yep. And you can also find Andrew's books on the saltwatermedia.com website. We have them there. And um, also on Amazon, different places. So just uh, look us There's up. There's a samuelsmod.com as, as well. Oh, samuelsmod.com yep. as well. Yeah, absolutely. So What's Your Story was recorded at Saltwater Media, an indie book publisher in Berlin, Maryland. Find us at www.saltwatermedia.com and on social media. Want to hear more? Just follow along by subscribing on iTunes to hear more behind-the-story stories. Want other people to hear more? Give us a great review on iTunes. Tell your story. book publisher in Berlin, Maryland. Find us at saltwatermedia.com and on social media. Want to hear more? Just follow along by subscribing on iTunes to hear more behind-the-story stories. Want other people to hear more? Give us a great review on iTunes. Tell your story.